Hello, and welcome to War Council. Uh, this is a podcast about 40K and things related to 40K, uh, things that are interesting to 40K players. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon. My name is Justin Jones. Justin, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Um, so because this is our first podcast, I feel like uh, we should let our listeners know that this is our first time doing this sort of thing. So we hope you enjoy it. But if you notice some hiccups in the road, that's completely normal. Uh, we expect it to be uh, a little a little rough at first, but hopefully you enjoy this. Um, so Justin, why don't we just go right on into our set rep. Um, so for those first-time listeners, set rep is what we use to describe hobby, pro- hobby progress and games we played, models we're working on, that sort of thing. Um, Justin, have you played any games recently? Uh, not too recently. Uh, I got in a game with my uh, proxy towed army about three or four weeks ago. Now, um, why did you decide to proxy Tau as opposed to just you know jumping on in and buying a Tau army? Did you feel because Tau have a proven track record? It's not like they're a brand new army. Did you? Um, was it more like the money investment, or more just the? Because I know you've done this before. We've done a bunch of themed armies for you, so I know you like to proxy stuff. What it boils down to is, um, I'm of the firm belief that if you don't have a lot of money, which I don't, um, who does? Right. You shouldn't rush out and put a whole bunch of money down on a bunch of models that you find out later don't really fit your play style. I mean, we've probably all have done that at one point or another. I mean, when I first got into my space later doing with this model, I can't use it. So rather than um, rushing out and doing that and making that mistake, I'd rather just take an existing army I have, my space Marines, and say, okay, I'm going to count SAS and see how well these builds work. Uh, and then that way, when I do decide to put down some cash for those minis, I know precisely what I'm buying. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you talk about play styles, I mean, I've heard other people talk about this a lot. I mean, it's easy to get wowed by the look of an army or to be beaten by someone who plays an army. And your immediate thought is that army is amazing. I should play them. But, you know, your play style may not match that army. Um like, like, for example, last night I had a, a game, or not last night, a couple nights ago, I had a game with my buddy Spence, and he's playing a Eldar, uh, so he has an Eldar Dark Eldar army, where the Dark Eldar are the primary detachment, but now that the Eldar Codex is launched, he's into the Eldar, and Tau just launched about, I don't know, a couple months ago, so now last, so Friday night he rocked a Tau Eldar mix, um, which was, you know, it was a crazy heavy shooting army. Um, and I was playing a, uh, I was playing a Chaos Space Marine Thousand Th- Sun themed army. Um, and his, his style of play is, just, I'm not, I don't come from a background where I did a lot of shooting. My first army was Tyranids and whether or not I, I can branch out of that, it kind of branded me an assault player. I'm a very, I'm kind of an aggressive player. I like to go get the other player. Uh, it's not my natural instinct to set back on my laurels, whereas Spence very much is a, uh, tactical advantage player like he you know he's he's a better player than me but he also i, I see i see him favor shooty armies um six edition i think is definitely a shooting edition it seems like assault has taken a little bit of a hit very much so yeah um so what are you using to proxy the towel just out of curiosity uh <laughs> my my dark angels okay well that's better than being like my legos or like my you know collection of stamps or something like that's, that's at least true that's, um and what about the you, you play your cousin right yeah i play against my cousin now how does he respond to you bringing a, a proxy army was he positive with that i mean these are like these are fun little games these are uh, casual games they're not 
you know, tournament tea games. Right. Is he is he cool with you proxying it or because he's kind of new to the hobby? He's only been in it for like a year or so. Yeah, um, actually, he's been into fantasy for over a year, and he's been in. Well, he got into 40k uh, when the sixth edition stuff was starting to come out, okay. and that's when I told him. So the only edition he's played is sixth. Right. That I told him at that point. Hey, I I don't I don't mind playing fantasy with you at this point, but I've been playing fantasy since 2010, and I need a break. Sure. And uh, I said I'm going to go into 40k and start playing sixth. As far as to, to answer your first question, though. I would say he's more ambivalent. He's not openly against me doing it. I think know, maybe when, when, when you're new as a player, you forget how expensive it can be. Right. And that's the thing. He doesn't hesitate to throw all of his money at a hobby. I don't want to do that. Does he have a job where he has a lot of disposable income? He just, it's or does complicated. He have like, does he have low, uh, low cost of living, maybe? Yeah, a little bit A little bit of, of the latter two. Oh, I see. Um, he... Doesn't mind blowing all the money he's got in his bank account just to buy something or whatever. But, you know, um, I, I've told him, I said, I'm, and this is why I think he's a little more accepting of me proxying that I don't do that and I don't want to plunk down money, you know, as I said earlier, on things I'm not going to use. So you're just, I just told him you're just going to have to deal with it. Sure. Now, you when know. you actually when you actually build the army, when you say things you're not going to use, do you mean like, for example, let's say the Vindicator? I think you mentioned that earlier. Do you mean that particular model just doesn't play to your style, or do you mean more like? Because I'm kind of of the belief that I feel like with a good army, I want to have my basic army, but I also want to have kind of a sideboard, so to speak, where I can bring in some swap in some units depending on what I'm playing. Like if I know I'm playing let's say, a Horde army, I'll swap out. I'm, the Vindicator might be a great choice because of the large blast template and that sort of thing. Um, I tend to build themed armies. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the direction I like to go. I mean, I don't like to... I love the I love the fluff, and I love to build armies around that, but having said that, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to... I, I still want to win. Yeah, sure. Um, and... Like what I'm trying to do right now with this tower army is I want to do air cav, uh, air mobile, um, put a bunch of guys in devil fish and move them around the table. Uh, now, now this is not because you've read like a meta list about this online. This is not like you're not following the current meta. You're, this is more just something you want to do because you want to do it. Right. It, it exactly. And you know I have some general concepts of of real life military tactics not because I served, but because I study military tactics, you know, and read about it in college and whatnot. But, um, yeah. What was your graduate thesis on again? It was on some, I don't even remember, but it was something. It had nothing to do with military tactics per se, but it was about prisoners of war. But that's right. Um, one of the, the tactics used and still used are, is air mobile cavalry. And that is you take troops and you put them in, something that can fly around like a helicopter, mm-hmm. say, and you can drop them off somewhere and they can either hold an, they, they hold an objective. Uh, for a good example of this, uh, watch the movie We Were Soldiers. Oh, okay. Uh, that's precisely what Air Cav is. Or, to a lesser extent, um, to seize an objective... Watch Black Hawk Down. They they took the they t- put the Delta Force operators in 
little, I think they're MH6s, little tiny helicopters, and they flew them in, and you know they snagged, snatched the guys, and they brought in Rangers in the the bigger Blackhawks uh, to hold the perimeter. So this kind of sounds like the Flying Circus Army that's so popular with IG players, actually. Yeah, a little bit like that. So I'm trying to build an army like that. Now, whether or not that's, I think it is viable. It's just, I need to fine tune, you know, I might, I I didn't really want to bring in some of the battle suits, but I think I'm going to have to have a little bit of that uh, in this Tau army. I mean, I don't know in terms of like playing it themed wise, but in terms of the game, when I played Spence Friday night with his Tau, I had never played against the jetpack rule before, at least not with that many models. And with the crisis suits and stuff, they all have it. Um, and for those who are not familiar with playing with Tau, basically what that allows you to do is during the assault phase, you can make a special type of jump pack move, uh, which I think is 2d6 inches. So yes, it's not it's not always guaranteed how far you're going to go, but you can figure an average of about six inches. And the beauty of that is is that you can you can shoot during your shooting phase, and then during your assault phase, you pop into cover basically and you hide. Um, so it's a nice mix because then on my phase as the opposing player, I have to deal with the terrain you're hiding in, whereas you did not during your shooting phase. And it's all theory. It doesn't always work out that way uh, because if you're going to move to certain positions, you're going to have to abandon cover, and eventually that 2d6 inches is still too far away. But but it is a nice thing to have. Um, right. Tower a highly mobile army. I'll, I'll say that. Like as an example of this, he played uh, an Eldrad. Eldrad in his Tau in his Eldar part of the army, and Eldrad has some ability. I want to say that it might be his Warlord trait that allows him to move. I think D three units or or something like that. So basically, we set up our models. He put all of his models down. I deployed second, so I deployed in counter to that. He used <laughs> he used Eldrad's ability, shifted all of his guys to the other side of the board. Oh god! So that, and, and that happens. There's other armies that can do that too. Like I think the Catan Deceiver can do it, or he used to. Now they call it just a Catan. But yeah. um, and I think the demons have a guy that allows that. So there's there's lots of people that can do this. But what what's more interesting is that during the game he kind of did it again because he just it, it when you watched it over the course of the game, he was moving. He was always moving. It was very fluid. He was always changing position, and it made it very difficult for me to play against him because. Once he, he neutralized my transports, I was slogging around, and he was just dancing circles around me. Um, so it, it, it's very cool to watch it in action. Um, I know people like to say that Tower a gun line, but they don't have to be. No, um, they don't. I, I think that your air cavalry idea actually definitely has a lot of merit. Yeah, it's, it's just fine-tuning it. That's, yeah. that's the thing. I think it will work. Yeah. It's just knowing it, – it's learning, okay, how many – yeah. Uh, how much war gear should I take? You know, the balance of war gear to, to vehicles, yeah. you know. And so on and so forth. allows you to do that without blowing a lot of money, like you said, while you're figuring it right. out. Right, right. Um, all right, so let's move on from games played to any sort of hobby progress. Have you been working on anything for the hobby recently? Any sort of like, I don't know, any different units you've been working on or anything you've built or anything you've had built for you or anything like that? Um, I've, my... My Dark Angels are still being repainted, um, but over the past few few weeks, I've been flocking, putting the flocking back on the repaint uh, minis, and I've also been uh, working on some fantasy stuff. I've got some Cold One mounts. Uh, they're for those that don't know anything about fantasy. Cold ones are basically giant lizards. Yeah, they kind of look like Velociraptors. Yeah, the new and, ones do. The old ones kind of looked like big fat. 
Velociraptors. They, yeah, the the new ones. I love the new models, yeah, but the, the problem nice. is that their tails stick out too far, so you can't. Like in terms of stacking the bases, like when you want. Right. Yeah. Because again, for those of you who do not play fantasy, uh, in fantasy you rank the models up, you slide all their bases together. You go to Games Workshop's website and look at some of the fantasy, the big units like uh, like Skeleton Warriors or whatnot, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But you can't do that currently with the Cold One models for the Dark Elves. So what I've been doing is been taking a heat gun. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great idea. You and took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. You know, uh, but a, a word to the wise for those that try to do something like this: just note that heat guns can get damn hot. Yeah, don't. You can uh, hurt yourself. Don't if grab you, the barrel. Right. If you aren't paying attention, you yeah. will hurt yourself. You sound like you're speaking from experience on that one. Um, I've only, I've only got myself once or twice. But I mean, I I don't even need to know. I mean, I could just feel the heat coming off of that thing. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, so for hobbyists that are new to the hobby, a heat gun is basically, for all intents and purposes, an industrial hair dryer. I mean, it basically it directs hot air uh, at a, at a target through a cylinder-like cone, um, a cylinder-like cone. But normally, in in you know, as opposed to a hair dryer, which heats up to a couple hundred degrees, this thing gets up into the 1500 degree range. So it's hot enough to melt plastic, to to melt anything really. Um, given enough time, you can even use it to heat up uh, metals. Um, I've I've learned from experience. Um, but yeah, I think bending the tails with that's a really good idea, actually. Um, a lot of people who are kind of lazy or they don't, a, they don't feel like they've got time will use like a cigarette lighter or a candle to literally melt it. And the problem is, is that that heat is very inconsistent. Uh, yeah. Whereas with a heat gun, you direct it; it's an even flow of air. You can literally point it exactly where you want. You can pull the the gun back farther and diffuse the air more in order to get a more general. I mean, it's it's like any hobby tool; it allows you more control. It's a melt gun guys. It That's is. That's basically what it is. It's a melt gun <laughs> And I didn't realize it got that hot. Yeah, they get hot. I've burned myself once or twice with them if, I'm not, if I wasn't paying attention. Um, yeah. And they're not, they're actually one of the cheaper things you can buy. I think I got mine for about 30 bucks maybe. Um, and I actually burn through about one a year. Um, the heating coils will burn out if you use them too much. So I recommend using them on the low setting because you get a better, you get, you get more use out of it and you won't melt your model. Right. Um, speaking of flocking, um, that brings me to some of the stuff I've been working on. So Apocalypse is coming out uh, in the next couple weeks in early July. I, don't know if, I know you've heard a little bit about that because we've talked about some of the new models coming out. Right. Um, so it got me thinking about, um, I've been working on a Thousand Suns Army, and I've been wanting to do some sort of different Helldrakes. I, I like the idea of alternate Helldrakes. I've seen some really cool conversions. Um, so I've been kind of working on sort of a, a mini Silver Tower. And the Silver Tower was this old epic model, which was literally like a floating fortress with guns coming off of it. And, and in theory, it had these sorcerers running all around the parapets, and they were running up and down the, the, the walls, and they were shooting bursts of fire. And it was a cool, it was a cool idea. Um, but the old models from Epic, just they weren't, I, I don't feel like they're, they were in line with what we think of as very good looking today. Our aesthetic has just changed. Um, but I did like the idea of this sort of floating fortress. I've seen these in a few... Uh, hobby catalogs like Storm of Magic, uh, which was a Warhammer supplement, had some really neat flying uh, flying edifices and flying fortresses. So I wanted to do something like that. Um, uh, and then with Apocalypse coming out, 
uh, I thought I should do a real one because they've actually got a, a, a template for it on their on the GW's website where you can you can do it. They just don't have the model. Um, so I, I finally was like, all right, well, you know, with Apocalypse coming out, I'll go ahead and commit to doing one. And I had enough bits laying around that I, I could I started building one this weekend. Uh, and what I what the basic idea was is I took a Temple of Skulls, which is a very large piece of terrain, but fortunately underneath it's hollow. And I drilled that into a uh, about a two-inch acrylic clear plastic rod, and then I drilled the bottom, and that's about a, about a, about a foot or a foot and a half rod. And then I drilled the bottom of that into the base from a uh, whatever the ruined tower is in the Warhammer line. I forget what it's called, um, but they've released a couple different fantasy kits. But one of them is just ruins, and it's like arcane ruins, but not the not the deserty looking temple. This one's more rounded, like a tower. So from from that alone, it sort of looks like this giant floating island. So that's sort of the basis of it. Um, and it's big. It's, it's a big, big freaking model. But I think in game, they actually come out at something like four or 500 points. So they should be a pretty hefty model. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be a lot. I think with Apocalypse coming back out, this is the, the second version of it. It's, this is the first time it's been re-released, I think, in like five or six years. It's been a long time. It came out in 2000. 2009 yeah somewhere around there yeah it's been a while <clears throat> For a lot of people who are just joining the hobby uh playing apocalypse was one of those things one of those weird entry points because it's a lot of fun it's definitely their most popular supplement to date but the rules are so outdated that a lot of times rules in the basic apocalypse book just didn't make sense anymore like they there's literally entire formations that you don't want to use because the rules are so far gone um and that's a natural part of the hobby that the rules have to update and FAQs and that sort of thing. But I feel like this has been a really long time coming. I don't feel like I, I feel like Apocalypse is such a money maker. Why would they wait this long to re-release it? And of course, when you couple it with the the growing interest in Warhammer 30k, yeah, I, the, the Horus Heresy stuff, yeah, <clears throat> um, expect to see. Uh, even greater surges in pre-heresy armies. You know, it's like, I don't know if you saw it, but I think it came out, Forge World sent out a, one of their newsletters. They they released the, uh, it's not the Fellblade. It's it's another version of the Fellblade. Yeah, it's called like the Glaive, I think. Is that the one you're yes, talking about? Yes, exactly. It's the Glaive. Yeah, it's brand new. It looks, it looks neat. I like the look of it. Um, it's got this massive, it, it almost looks like a plasma cannon, kind of. Like it's got that sort of shape. But it doesn't have the the typical glowing barrel or where you would or where you'd make it glowing. I don't know what you'd call it, but um, it's a cool looking model. Yeah, it's so, got some sort of weird rule that every time you hit, you you draw a line, and with every enemy you wound, I think you you continue to wound until I think I just think you just go down the line. You know, yeah, just like yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to be hit. I wouldn't want to have a unit that gets hit by that. But Not at all. You know, it, it's it's kind of interesting though that you know with the re-release of of, of Apocalypse, I, I think you are going to see more more and more 30k armies, and you know because don't forget that in uh, Apocalypse games using 30k, you can field Primarchs. Yeah, that's true, absolutely. And now that they're starting to actually release official Primarch figures, like uh, who'd they just do? Um, for... Fulgrim. Yeah, they just did Fulgrim, which I really liked the, the sculpt on that. I've heard it, a couple of people say they didn't like it, but I really liked it. Um, 
And who was the one they did before that? They did another Chaos guy. They did uh, Angron. So why do you think they didn't do a, a, a regular, a good guy, so to speak? Like, why they did two bad guys back-to-back. And by bad guys, I mean Chaos. Why didn't they do any, a, a Loyalist, you think? Because the simple answer is that the first Horus Heresy book, which I have not, unfortunately, gotten an opportunity to read, but I've read up on it, if that makes any kind of sense, um, involves the Istvan III uh, massacres, uh, virus bombings, and the only legions involved in Istvan III uh, were uh, Death Guard, World Eaters, uh, Sons of Horus, and Emperor's Children. So using that logic, do you think that, like, for example, the next Primarch would be one of the guys from the chapters you just mentioned that hasn't been released yet? Like, let's say, uh, who was the uh, Mortarian? Like like Mortarian, for example. Right. Uh, they are going to come out with the Drop Site Massacres, which is going to be the second book. That's the Drop Site Massacres on Istvan Five, And there were Loyalist Primarchs there, for instance, Korax, um, uh, what's the name of the uh, Ferris Manus uh, Vulcan? Uh, those guys were there, so you know they're going to have more. They can actually release um, a couple of the loyalist ones. So, are the rules for these guys in any of the supplements? Like, are these in the Forge World Imperial Armor books, uh, or is rules... this more like you just field him as like a lord and you just give him stuff that would make him feel like you know Fulgrim or whatever? No, there there are, as I understand it, there are rules for at least in Book One Betrayal. Um, there are rules specific to the Those primaries, guys. Nice. right? And, how the, how did they stat out? Did you hear how people liked it or didn't like it? Um, they're about the they're about the cost of a super heavy. Oh, uh, so like a couple hundred points. Like six to eight hundred. Oh my god! <laughs> but. These are these are Primarchs, got man. What yeah, do you expect? Well, but, they they are, but yeah. I mean, do they? Can I guess the question is, do they earn it back? Like, is it is it worth it to take a Primarch? Uh, apparently, yes, uh, because they can do some really really scary things. Uh, but they are they are fragile. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. there are certain things that can kill them. But I guess from what I've from what I can understand, um. If you use them correctly, they're as nasty as a Primarch should be. I mean, most Primarchs, I would guess, and I'm not um, a reader of the novels. I've read a couple. They just don't really... I've got other things I'm interested in reading, and I just don't want to devote myself completely. But what I, when I have read about the Primarchs, I always feel like they are uh, they put an emphasis on the hand-to-hand aspect of them. Like, I never hear, and it maybe this is because I'm not that exposed to the books, but I never hear them talk about a Primarch who had just, who they'll devote, like, several pages to his marksmanship. It's always about, like, you know, a physical combat, like an actual physical confrontation. Um, so I imagine a lot of those rules for those Primarchs probably deal with their close combat abilities, and, and the fragility of them probably comes in if you can't get them to close combat. Angron, certainly. Yeah. I don't know about Fulgrim. I don't. I don't think from the few couple times I've read about Horus in close combat, he's never really been in close combat. Uh, the the one time he made an appearance in uh, spoiler tags, folks, um, Horus Rising, he used a storm bolter. Um, but did but, they spend a great deal of time talking about like because it just feels like to me that's kind of boring. Like it was the last time you watched a fantasy movie, and 
feel like I don't know. This may be a bad example, but an archer was the main character, you know. Or uh, now that's not entirely fair because there's some movies about snipers that are amazing. Um, Me at the gates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but I just don't. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm way off base, actually. But well, Raboot Gilliman, and I'm probably saying that incorrectly, but the Ultramarines Primark. The one thing that um, in No No Fear, uh, the Ultramarines pre-heresy book. Um, that talks about the Battle of Calf. The one thing that Dan Abnett, who is one of my favorite writers, my favorite writer in for 40K, mm. one thing he spent a lot of time talking about was how well, how able Gilliman is able to think. Uh, he could concentrate on, I think he said in the in the novel itself, like 100 tasks at once. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. You know, you know, so that was the that's kind of what I liked about about that is, you know, about about him is that Gilliman is a thinker, whereas if you um, read Legion, yeah, which is number seven in the Horace Heresy series, another Abnett book, incidentally, uh, the Primarch of the Alpha Legion is a master of deception. Okay. Nice. I wonder, but as a writer, I mean, it's easy for, for example, the writer to say that he can focus on a thousand or a hundred tasks, but as a reader, we have to be able to keep up with that. So I wonder how he portrayed it in the literature. Like, did he have the character randomly jump between thoughts, like kind of OCD style, or was it more like it was just sort of a, he can do this, but, you know, we're not. Well, it, we're not it had him <laughs> sitting there ruminating, um, I guess he was monitoring some traffic and he, Gilliman was thinking to himself, yeah, you know, some of my new advisors, I think they're the, the Tetrarchs or something. It's like the, one of the guys is just too new and he's like, he doesn't really, he was thinking to himself, he just doesn't really understand how able I am to keep abreast of these things because he was monitoring like 1500 different signals or whatever going on and picking sure. out the things he needs to know. So it, it was actually addressed just not in not, you know, with the blunt force trauma of a, of a, of a bolt gun to the head type of address, nice. you know, but it was very, sure. you know, it, it was referenced, you know, right. um, and, and the same thing with, with the prime primarchs again, spoiler tags, um, for the Alpha Legion, the way they operate. So there, there are, but I, I think you are your your premise is overall correct that uh, that a lot of Primarchs are up close and physical because Gilliman does it too in in No No Fear, and just things get wrecked when Primarchs get into combat. Well, I mean, I think just you know, in my ex I did read the Fulgrim novel, and I feel like it's been about a year or two since I've read it, but I feel like a lot of the time it wasn't focused on what he was doing. It was more, fo well, that's not true. It wasn't focused on like, <laughs> a lot of the times it was just talking about the evolution of the Legion and how they sort of fell into depravity, but yeah. they didn't spend a great deal of time like in the shooting phase for, to put it in game terms, like they'd get into the combat and they would, they would start fighting. But, you know, Fulgrim was rocking this alien blade called the layer blade or something. And he's got some other blade. I forget what the other one's called, but anyway, these are neat weapons and, and they're definitely, you know, I'm sure his bolter is, is great. I'm sure it's mastercrafted and all that. But at the end of the day, these are alien artifacts, and I'm more interested in that. Right. Like I, I want as a reader, 
I'm more interested in, yeah, I want to see him pop a couple of Marines with a bolt for sure. But after that, I want to see what this blade does. Is it symbiotic? Is he acting as a host? How's their relationship? You know, is it, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm interested in. Right. Um, or even that's... some of the good Primarchs, like you mentioned Vulcan, like now he's probably a little different because of with the whole flamer thing and that aspect. Um, he's probably one of those guys I actually would like to hear a lot about, you know, flamers and melted guns because i want to see them rock those better than other legions i guess yeah um and of course ferris manus well actually he's more of a close combat monster too which is, is, he, the, of, is he the iron hands one yeah which is kind of funny because he's like this great artificer him fulgrim vulcan and um perturabo the primarch of the iron hands those are go those guys are all um artificers yeah because one sort or another what's his name fulgrim got into a contest with somebody and that was how he forged this hammer it's yeah somebody then went and got which i always thought was kind of weird to think of fulgrim forging like if you could forge a weapon and i'm fulgrim and i'm you know he's probably a little dainty he's probably a little emotional like what's the weapon i'm going to forge and he's like i'll forge a hammer and I always thought, eh, this is a story ploy. Like, I like the idea that they're swapping weapons, but it just doesn't feel like he would forge a hammer. Well, it's more like to me, like a space wolf player would forge a hammer, not the Emperor's Legion. Well, uh, think of it this way, though: um, the Emperor's children, before they went all slaneshi, yeah. uh, were all about perfection. So, and this is—I'm kind of making some leaps here, but not only can you you know, part part of part of Fulgrim's thing, his his fluff, is um, when he was on, you know, still before he joined up with back up with Daddy, um, the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things he wanted to do for his world was to bring back culture and art. Now, yeah, what, I do they I do remember that from the Horse Heresy. What the, what is it? Uh, the 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 nice thing about hammers is that not only can they destroy, but you can build with them. That's true. So again, it's a bit of a stretch, but they're kind know. of an artisan's tool yeah. as well as yeah, I can see that, and that may have been what they were going for. Um, so I would, I would love. I think we could do a whole podcast about yeah. Primarchs, apparently. So I'm going <laughs> to that. I, did, I we got a little off tangent. That's okay because they're, they're clearly this is something that we're interested in and that other people are probably interested in too. Right. Um, so let's move on to lookout, sirs. Um, now for the our first time listeners look out sirs is kind of our segment where we talk about um, news and, and gossip and rumors and just things that are coming up. Um, so for this week, we selected eternal crusade. Uh, now this is the upcoming MMORPG. <laughs> I think I got that right. Clearly I'm not an MMORPG. Or, oh my God. I'm not one of those guys. I don't play those. Do you, have you played a lot of online uh, role playing games? No, I, I don't have the, I, I don't want to spend the, 10 15 bucks a month to keep a subscription active and i just don't have the uh i don't have the wherewithal to want to constantly keep up with 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 an mmorpg character because there is a lot of we got there's a lot of work it's it's almost like having a sims character where you have to build like i mean it's it i feel like it's a lifestyle not a not a not a something you do for fun there more or less yeah yeah um, so ha- has there been any speculation on what it will cost or what the up- upkeep monthly will be or anything like that? Well, 
there are um has GW ever done one of these before? Have they ever? I know they've done. I know they've done computer games, but have they ever done a, an MMORPG before? Um, couple things. One, they were trying. Uh, well, see, before um, <clears throat> uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the Warhammer 40k license was held. Had uh, THQ had the rights to it, right? And uh, THQ, there's of course Relic studio relic entertainment uh which does the dawn of war real-time strategy games mm-hmm. um but thq went belly up and all of those licenses dispersed um so when thq had the license it was dark Cru- no not dark crusade it was um dark millennium uh, i think mm-hmm. is what it was dark millennium online I do remember that vaguely, yeah. And they were actually going to, uh, and I was actually happy to hear this, uh, that they were actually going to make it a single-player game instead. But because, again, THQ went belly up, um, I guess games work. Would just be kind of like a Diablo-style game then, like when you say single-player? I don't I don't know what it would, I mean, there's a, a number of ways they could go. They could make it an action RPG, or they could make it more like... Um, I don't suppose you've ever played Knights of the Old Republic, have you? No. That's the one where you played either a good or a bad Jedi? Was that that one? More or, or less, yes. And it was yeah. very... It wasn't action. It was all... It was basically using the pen and paper mechanics, the D20 system for all of it. Oh, neat. No, I, I can honestly say I've never played any MMORPG. I just... I never yeah. got into... Part of it is that I don't have a lot of money, so I always felt like my computer couldn't keep up. Right. Um, and I know that, and I'm not a techie, so I don't really, like, for example, when people are like, I've just updated my video card, they might as well be speaking, you know, like uh, Swahili or something. I have, I don't know where this video card goes. I don't know how to put it in. So I just kind of nod and say, cool, and I just walk away. That's where your um, monitor plugs in. Oh, see, well, there, there you go. Um, <laughs> That, that well. um, but I was my computer is always very like I always I only upgrade my computer maybe every like oh god I don't know five or six years so it's always slow um, yeah which for me at first all I really wanted was a word processor I wanted something I could write on and then as the internet got bigger and better um, I use it for all of my business stuff and media stuff but right um, but my computer has always been a little hard to keep up with all these games yeah well um I, as far as to answer your, your initial question concerning price points, there are two possible models for MMO. Well, first of all, we don't even really know if it's an MMO or a PG. It could that, be, that has not been confirmed. Uh, it could be a it could be a, an online shooter. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know because they haven't really released. I, I went looking for it this morning, and there's not really a lot out there. Uh, Defiance. There's this sci-fi just released this TV show uh, a few months back called Defiance, and they jointly released it with a game by the same name. And the idea was that the world would affect the show and vice versa. Like stuff that happens in the game right. would be reflected in the show. And they did something smart, which was they Defiance actually takes place in like. Um, St. Louis, yeah, and the show or the game actually takes place, I think, on the West Coast, yeah, or the remnants of the West Coast. So they're very far away geographically. So it's not like they had to, as writers, have it immediately impact stuff. Um, but they could chart out big stuff. They could chart out like the West Coast is bombed or something, right? And and the 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 guys in at Defiance hear about that, you know, a few months later. Did you hear about what happened out west? Like, 
you know. But yeah, this it, this is still very new. I don't know how this will that will play out. If um, if they were smart, that's the route they would go, and hmm. not try to make another World of Warcraft type game because every company that has tried to do that, period, yeah, has failed. I, I, well, that and that was what made me remind me of Defiance. Is that Defiance actually plays like a first-person shooter, right? Like it plays like uh, Doom, or it plays like Dead Space. It plays like uh, well, not even Doom because Doom was very first-person. I guess it's a third-person shooter, but right. Anyway, you're basically running around shooting. It's not. It doesn't play like your typical MMORPG where right. you're very distant, third-eye view up in the sky, looking down on your character, kind of thing. And uh, and that would be the smart way to go about it is if they said okay I think well, so. let's let's yeah. go about it and you know maybe have some aspects where um, you know maybe uh, th- what you do in the game might have some effect here on maybe uh, there might be a, a spinoff well not a spinoff universe but you know might be some aspect of the 40k universe where hey you know you've got this sector whatever subsector they're in or whatever planet. And, yeah. you know, maybe something is happening, you know, I, I, I would be, uh, that would be kind of neat, I think, is if they managed to implement something like that. I think that'd be cool. Um, they, and they kind of did something with Dark Heresy in the same way, uh, with Dark Heresy being, for those of you who don't know, this is the Fantasy Flight RPG. They created a sector out in the middle of, who cares, it's somewhere not in the general GW galaxy. It's a distant galaxy. I forget what the sector's called, but they basically created this sector with the idea being that you guys can do whatever you want here because no matter what happens, it's far enough away from Terra that it won't really matter. So all of the stuff that goes on in this distant sector, uh, this very isolated sector also, um, doesn't really have an effect on the main game. It could, in theory, depending on which direction you take your campaign. There's nothing that says you can't you know, take a ship and go back to Earth or back to Terra. But generally, because the adventures take place in this sector and you're assigned there, the idea is that the GM keeps you in this area. Um, and, and that sort of you know, localizing helps, I think, because then one aspect doesn't play on the other. It's not like you're going to blow up Terra or blow up... You're not going to lead a siege on the Imperial Palace or anything like that. The scope of the game just doesn't allow for that, at least at the early phases. Um, maybe in the later phases. Um, I have heard speculative speculation wise that the races so far what I've heard are are chaos space marines, regular loyalist space marines, and orcs. Um, they they had this sort of demo or promo on their website where you could hear these different voices. Did you listen to that at all? Uh, my my web browser was not cooperating with me. It's actually kind of neat, but they didn't specify which voices were for which. So. You have, you know, one of them was clearly an orc because he's talking about like umis and gits and that sort of thing. So one is very orc, and one said something very imperial marine, and one, and by the same token, one said something that was very chaosy. But it wasn't clear if the chaos, the chaos one was kind of vague, because it said it was something along the lines of like, you know, these are our stars. They were once ours. They'll be ours again. And it was very dark and kind of echoey and kind of metallic. So I was kind of like. That could be chaos, but that could also be Necrons. It could have also been Eldar, and and it could have been chaos demons. Like I was really on the fence about that one. Um, so I know it'll be chaos space marines in theory because they're pictured on the the logo and they're they're a, they're a pretty standard part of the game. But I, I could see it going other ways too, actually. So 
Yeah. Is there anything you hope to see in the game? Like, do you? Is there anything? If you could have your one wish for for the Eternal Crusade, what would you want? Well, being again, because I'm not really a, I don't really play games like that. The only thing I really want would want to see is that the developer, uh, and I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head, but I would really hope that they try to stay faithful or as faithful because I realize you're going, they're going to have to take some liberties, but try to remain as faithful to the universe as possible. Yeah. And that would be all I really want, you know, and not them going off on some wild tangent and saying, Oh, well, we're going to have the tyrannids ally with the the loyalists so they can go whack, you know, kill the chaos space Marines, you know, nothing, no, no nonsense like that. You know, do you feel like they've been pretty loyal so far to the franchise in the games they've developed? Um, thus far, yes, and I think okay. that has to do with Games Workshop has a a pretty tight control on their IP and yeah, tight is a spec. Tight is <laughs> yeah, yeah, a tight tight like uh, well, every every metaphor I want to make right now is kind of dirty. So let's just say tight. <laughs> like so, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But, um, but um, yeah, they're definitely they their their IP police are uh, they're on the job. They're looking out all over the place. Um, well, uh, that actually kind of brings us to our next topic about speculation, uh, because uh, for, for for Overwatch this week, and Overwatch is our section where we're going to discuss. Um, uh, well, this week specifically, we're going to discuss the GW prepping to be sold, and and also the lawsuit between them and Chapter House. Um, so I guess for the first point, why don't we talk about their speculation of being sold? Do you think that the Eternal Crusade game is in regards to that? Do you think they're doing that because they're they're sort of trying to put another jewel in their crown, so to speak? Um, for those that are kind of new to this, there there's a rumor going around the internet that GW is probably going to be sold, and this rumor perhaps you know this rumor surfaces every few years. Um, and I am not a stock guy; I'm not an analyst, so I can only take what I believe are educated opinions about it. But the educated community tends to think that this means they're being sold because they've been raising prices steadily the last few years. They've had a change in leadership and that I think the CEO was either let go or they replaced him, I forget which. Um, So there's been a lot of things that, generally speaking, are indicative of a company being sold. so with that, do you think that's true? Do you think they are prepping to be sold, or do you think this is just more business as usual? Um, well, again, it's if this had been the first time that that rumor had cropped up, yeah. um, I would say yes. But because those, the best answer I can give is I really don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it's, it's, it, they've said this before. I mean, it's one of those things that with the 40K community, rumor, the rumor mill, I feel like, works overtime. There are rumors that come up that never happen. I've been promised a Tyranid Harpy as a player for like three years now. Every summer, they, they, there's a rumor. And like even with like every codex, there's all these cir- sort of circulations of rumors. And it's, it's hard to know which of those are true and which aren't. Normally, when the codex comes out, it's, it's a mix. Some are true, some aren't. So It's like, where's my plastic Thunderhawk? Exactly. Um, actually, I, I I have heard that that's still coming, but <laughs> that's the nature of rumors. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so clearly, Overwatch is where we're going to talk about this sort of stuff, like rumors and gossip. Um, so with with we don't know about the selling. Um, what about the lawsuit? Let's talk about that, which is actually much less rumor and gossip and more just, I guess, 
slandering at this point. But so for those who are new to this, um, or who are unaware of this, um, as Justin mentioned earlier, GW has a really firm hold on their IP, their intellectual property, and they just monitor that frequently. I, as a hobbyist and an owner of a web business, have been sent cease and desist twice now on two occasions where I've had to completely re redo my business practices around it. Um, and they, they, they patrol other areas of their business as well. For example, they recently shut down bit sales and vendors can no longer sell to overseas uh, consumers in terms of like selling new kits. But more specifically, um, third-party bits manufacturers um, like Chapter House are basically companies that create alternate bits or substitute bits or conversion parts. Uh, like they might create shoulder pads that show alternate chapters. They might create alternate weapons, lightning claws. Um, and as a converter, a lot of these are really useful. For example, lightning claws were a really hard to get bit for a long time. You, you would buy a box and get like a set and they were never the arms you wanted. They were always like giant. So a lot of people were using Terminator lightning claws on their basic Marines and they were always big. So companies like this are important because they allow independent sculptors and with uh, with casting and how often how how commonplace that's been and how the internet has really cracked that that mystery open on how to cast. It allows people like us who convert models to buy these bits cheaply, more efficiently, uh, and with more options. There's just more and more designers out there doing really cool work. Um, but anyway, that's a little off topic. Back on topic, recently GW um, was in a lawsuit with Chapter House. This was about a three-year thing. And uh, the the outcome of this trial, where GW basically said that Chapter House was stealing from their intellectual property, and there was hundreds and hundreds of, of documents in this, because there were hundreds and hundreds of pieces in their inventory that they contested. Um, and basically the outcome was that Chapter House was able to keep about two-thirds of their products, about one-third of it, had to go away, which I think was a little over 100 items. But they were able to keep stuff like their shoulder pads and a lot of their uh, bits. And more importantly, they were able to say they can use the words compatible with GW products. They don't have to rename it like instead of power fist, call it power wrist or power hand or something. They can actually say this power fist or this, this bit is compatible with GW models. Or they can say Space Marine compatible in the same way that if I bought like a, a muffler from a company that wasn't Ford and used it on my Ford truck, they can say compatible with Ford. I think that's fair, you know. Um, where do you come in on this? Well, the first thing I should point out is that there is a world of difference between, you know, for, for all those arm, would-be armchair lawyers out there, there is a world of difference between legal, uh, civil litigation and criminal litigation. Uh, mm -hmm. With criminal litigation, it's very black – well, relatively speaking, it's a lot more black and white than, say, civil litigation where there are infinitely more shades of gray involved in, in any sort of civil litigation. So having said that, though, with Chapter House v. Uh, Games Workshop, um, it's pretty clear of – pretty clearly a victory for chapter house and for third-party manufacturers yeah that's the bigger thing is that all third-party manufacturers now benefit and because of of fair use a fair use doctrine and, and a lot of that other a lot of those other things that are you know as you pointed out just now like in the auto industry you know um if if the auto industry were that draconian 
e.g., if you you had something go wrong on your 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 Ford, like say a muffler, to use your example, right. and you couldn't get it through Ford, or the part was really rare, you know, it, or really or really expensive. Right. I mean, if they're monopolizing it, they can charge you whatever they want. Right, and that that would be you you don't see that kind of thing in in the auto industry. You can get you know things like you can get parts like that from a lot of other manufacturers and in a way i'm not a big gw basher so what i'm about to say you know i don't mean to be as antagonistic as i'm sound here but you know what they were trying to do was pretty despicable uh in in trying to limit the 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 third party industry that's that's pretty pretty disgusting really you know yeah and and i i definitely i don't think i'm as disgusted Although I, I definitely understand why why you have strong feelings about it, because if anyone, uh, I can empathize because I've I've been I've had cease and desist letter against me from them before for manufacturing things, and not just like it's not like I was copycasting stuff, but for example, in my experience, you, they won't even allow you to release like I can kit bash a model, I can take a Ravener, I can slap some wings on it, and I, can, I but I can't call it a parasite of Mortrex, even if that's what you're going to use it as, I can't call it that because the idea is that their name. That 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 name is theirs. They've branded that name. Um, there's ways around it. I can call it Flying Tyrant. I can call it Kitbash. Um, I could come up with like another name, but it's one of those things that the ability to swing my fist ends at their nose, kind of thing. Um, but the problem here is, like you said, there. I feel like they go a little too far with it. I feel like they don't want anyone to to do anything remotely related right. to it. And, and this all comes down to money. At the end of the day, um, and, and I don't want to be that guy that's like GW is a money hungry company because I believe right. that every company at its root is is is, is kind of money hungry. Like I'm 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 in business because I want to make money. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something I love, but right. at the same time, I, I do want I want your cash. I want you to pay me for what I do because I feel like my my service is valuable. They feel like their product is valuable. I get that. But what they realized was there are smart people out there. Smart people found ways around it in releasing other alternate models and where they thought they were going to, they created a policy on there, which to use your phrasing was very draconian where one of GW's policies is, and this is way deep buried in their legal mumbo jumbo. And I'll put a link on to to it in the thing, but um, it it basically says, do not combine our product with third party manufacturers bits, which I, I, you know, basically the idea there is you can't, you can buy other people's bits, but you don't combine them with theirs. And some people got around that by releasing whole models, like they'd release their own types of models. There's a couple companies out there that release sort of alternate space marines, you might say. They call them something else. They call them like Black Ops, or they'll call them like Praetorians, yeah. or they'll call them Knights, Steampunk Knights, or whatever. But um, but they're, they're space marines, or they're designed to be. But the idea is that GW basically doesn't want you to combine their bits with GW product, which... It's ridiculous. I've talked to a lawyer about this, and, and his take on it was, a company can't tell you what to do with your something you buy. Um, where I run into problems with that, though, is that I turn around and try to sell that. Like, if I buy a bit from Chapter House and put it on a, a 40K model and try to sell it, that's where GW says, you know, whoa, like, you can't do that. That's against our policy. Uh, my question now is going to be, are they going to update their policies based on this outcome? Like, are they going to go in and are they going to change their policy or are they going to just sort of stick their head in the sand and be like, I don't care what the judge said. We're still saying you can't do this. And are, you know, is because the idea is that chapter house one. So the theory is that right. other companies now 
can benefit from that. But I think the thing is, is that you could get cocky with that. And then it, this isn't saying GW can't sue another company. It's just saying that now there's a precedent. Like now there's something that can be cited. If, if they were to sue me, I could go into court and say, well, I'm going to, you know, you know, subject to GW versus Chapter House you 2013. You judgment, actually, the judge based this. on um, that legal precedent. Um, the thing, though, I should point out, though, is that don't forget I, that Games Workshop does have the right to appeal. So unless they don't appeal the decision, you know, then we can start talking about, you know, what are they going, what they're going to do in the future. But if they do decide to appeal, it, uh, we're still going to have to wait. I don't think they're going to have very many grounds for an appeal though, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard the appeal argument and I think that there's, there's some merit to that. They can definitely try it, but this was a big trial. I mean, is it really going to go, are they going to go through all that again? And at what point do they, I mean, at what point are and you wasting more time? The other thing too is, it, I, as I understand it, uh, in during the court proceedings, GW they were made fools out of. Do you say that like based well, on? Well, do you mean like in way that, that why don't you they tried to argue? You know, and some of the tactics they tried to use, they 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 slapped down pretty hard by the judge. You know, for example, uh, their lawyers tried to object to. Uh, somebody bringing in uh, evidence that space or space marine isn't games workshop trademark that it's been around you know that the concept has been around i mean take for example um starship troopers the the novel which was written in the 50s um were those guys called space marines they weren't space marines per se i, feel like I, they I know were there called, was some other called... I, I was some other author that actually did use the word space marine but these guys were less space marines yeah there was a there was a lady that came there was a lady on amazon that posted sort of this this novel called space marine and that <laughs> this was actually that's another good example is that this woman posted this book I say posted, I mean published. She self-published this novel called Space Marine. And uh, GW basically contacted Amazon to say, that's our word, you can't use that. And Amazon took it down. What was funny yeah. is that uh, the community rallied behind her. Uh, the, the, the president of the science fiction, uh, I guess either guild or publishing or something, some big guy in the science fiction community. And like Will Wheaton, of all people, like got behind her and said that GW can't do that. So it was funny that within, I think, I would say like right. 48 hours or something like that, her book was back up. Um, so this is one of those great instances where GW tried to push hard oh, yeah. and Amazon <laughs> yeah. is a bigger bully than GW is. So it was like, you know, you can't, uh, you know, you, like for example, if GW threatens me with a lawsuit, I back off because they're bigger than me and I have a house and I have a mortgage and, and I can't afford to, to lose all that based on a business that doesn't make me a ton of money. Amazon uh, but Amazon can. Face, they can fight back on really, that. You know. Right, exactly. I mean, GW is a big company. They, they're, they're a, I think I heard someone... I heard a number last year and it was like 500 million. They did a lot of business. They do they do a lot of business. Yeah. But Amazon, you know, is yeah, is is Amazon. They're a billion dollar company. Um so anyway. All right, well, I think that's enough on on that particular topic. I think we can probably safely move on. Um so uh this next segment uh we have tentatively titled uh, Rules of Engagement. 
And uh, it's kind of a pop quiz for 40K. The idea is that it's a rules refresher. It's uh, designed to uh, sort of, when we have a question in game that comes up, which happens all the time, uh, we like to sort of to go over that between ourselves and figure out if we were right, if we were wrong. Um, and, and this is just sort of a, a good refresher. So uh, I'm going to start this one off. Um, so this came up in game. Um, uh, Justin, I right. play Spence, and he's a Dark Eldar player. And Dark Eldar have open-topped vehicles. And there's a lot of times where open top vehicles have specific, they have special rules. Um, like, for example, when you shoot an open top vehicle, it does extra damage on the damage chart and that sort of thing. And so I know that with, when you're shooting out, I know that with open top vehicles, all the guys can shoot out. So the question is, the pop quiz for the week is, can you target a, a unit in a transport if it's open topped? I know in closed top you can't. So the question is, can you do it if it's an open top vehicle, say an orc truck, a dark based on earlier playing, whatever? My answer would be no. Yeah, do you? It, it, that's absolutely right. Um, you can't. Um, this came up in game because, for example, using the dark elder example, all the dark elder could shoot out of the vehicle. They're just standing around shooting out of it. It's like a whole bunch of rednecks in the back of a truck. You know, they're just they're just all <laughs> hanging out. So that's a terrible thing to say. I'm sorry for the redneck. I, I apologize to the redneck community out there if there are. Anyway, um, but I, I, I felt like, well, if they can shoot out, maybe I can shoot in. But the precedent is, is that you treat it more like a normal transport and that you can't target units in a transport. Um, so even though they have an open fire port, you can't technically shoot at them. Now, do you think that's fair? Like, for example, should it be a house rule where you say, well, you can't shoot units in closed transports. Given the, given the disadvantage, some, how do you feel about that? The, one of the, the major disadvantages to open topped, i.e. the uh, plus one on the damage chart, mm -hmm. I think it's still plus one, isn't it? Uh, I would say leave it alone. It because, is. Yeah, because, it, because a plus you feel like one they're already on the at a disadvantage chart enough. these Why, days, uh... that can really wreck your day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I feel like that they've, they've already got a tough enough lot. But the, I guess the question is, does them shooting out, does that negate that advantage? Like they're all able to shoot out. Uh, to use the Dark Eldar example again, these skimmers can wing around the board and a dozen, uh, you know, Cavalite warriors can shoot poisoned weapons. Uh, without much risk of reprisal, other than their, their transport being targeted, of course. Um, so that's the real risk there. Um, I, I, I'm kind of on the fence about it, but I guess I lean more towards your point of view on it. Um, I do feel like the game designers take a lot of time to think these things yeah. through. It might be an interesting test, though, to try it one game, just to see it. Or maybe not well, even a game, but just the, a demo the, is experience. It the, um, just try it out with a few units. Like, raiders are delicate, but like... the. Stormlord, I think that's an open top, isn't it? Yeah, Raiders are delicate. That's a big, super heavy transport that can hold like which one's the Stormlord? Twenty, thirty guys, and it has the two mega bolters on it. I think that is open top. I mean, could you imagine? I believe this you're is right a terrifying about thought, but could you imagine um, putting hmm. an entire combined platoon of Imperial Guard in there with las cannons and everything, and that thing rolling around shooting at you, open topped? Well. And see, that's the interesting thing is that the assumption is that open-topped vehicles are more delicate, I guess. But in terms of like, like let's use the, uh, uh, I don't know, how do I, how, how would I characterize this? Um, like, let's say that let's let's scrap the rule for a second and say that when you shoot an open-top vehicle, 
there's not a plus one damage modifier at all. Because in theory, let's say the skimmer, why is the skimmer more lightly armored just to allow its guys to shoot out of it? Like if I shoot at a skimmer with, like, say, a LAS cannon, why is that LAS cannon able to penetrate the open top vehicle that much more effectively? Because in theory, the guys that are standing around, they're on the deck of the ship. They're not, they're not like in the engine room. They're not in a, in a weapon system room. They're not in a delicate area where you might ignite like a fuel cell. Like why Ricochet. would it matter if I shot them on the open deck of a barge? Like why should... Okay, so yeah. like for example, I, like that ricochets into one of those vulnerable areas? Well... What about with a weapon that never ricochets like a melter? <laughs> we're, we're, split, we're splitting air, starting to split plasma. hairs here. Oh yeah, see, I stopped I, you there. I, I, I see your point. You're like, crap. You know, it, it's a good argument. Yeah, that's fair. But it's, I think it's one of those points yeah. where at least from a game design standpoint, you have to say, wait. Yeah, we don't want to get... I mean, I, I wouldn't mind a little is more complexity in 40K than is already present, but that's just me. Other people don't like overcomplicated things. Play, play fantasy. Play, play I feel fantasy like it's pretty complicated right now. <laughs> that's, more, that's a lot <laughs> like, more complex than 40K is. Yeah. I do feel like 40k borrows a lot of concepts from fantasy. As the additions have, have gone on, very, the two systems have gotten so. I feel like closer and closer. To um, uh, for all you 40k players out there that have never touched a game of fantasy and that haven't really paid attention, you look look at the new rules for assault that you roll your assault distances, you know your charge distances. That's straight out of fantasy. Uh, you you that that came up in fantasy eighth edition. Yeah. Um, or um, some of the rules about uh, a, another better example is um, remember back in fifth edition when they first introduced uh, the concept in, in close combat, whenever uh, an opposing group lost, they took away the number of casualties from their leadership and then rolled on that. You remember that? Okay. Yeah. That's been in fantasy for a long time. Probably. I don't know, maybe since I don't know if it's been in since its inception because I haven't played fantasy that long, but uh, that came over from fantasy to 40k, and that that makes, um, of right. course, that makes assaults and a, a lot deadlier in 40k, but they're still not quite as deadly as they are in fantasy because here's the thing, and most <laughs> most 40k games are a lot of them involve guys in power armor. And, you know, especially loyalists and, and they shall know no fear kind of negates that, um, you know, uh, negates the the, the sure. dangers of a sweeping advance. Whereas conversely, uh, most armies in fantasy do not have that protection. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot more rare. Uh, right. I mean, because like how many how many Space Marine armies are there variants? OK, we've got Blood Angels, Black Templars, Dark. Yeah, like half the armies. There's a lot. There's like you eight know. or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, to, to underscore your, point, your point, to to you know to, it's the same thing. You know, you you are correct. The the two systems are getting are becoming more and more alike. Right. Definitely. 
Okay, well, why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and move on to the precise shot segment, Justin, and we'll uh, handle that uh, as we're getting towards the end of the show. So, precise shot is a segment we've we've decided we want to use it to sort of highlight one product or one thing that we have specifically cited, and it's become interesting to us. And uh, it's not necessarily something new or a gossip thing. It could be really. I want to keep this topic pretty broad. It could be just about anything. It could be a new model. It could be a new company. It could be a new uh, uh, business. It could be just a new artist that we've discovered that we really like. Um, and because we struggled so much in the beginning to sort of figure out just how to get a podcast like this off the ground, uh, I wanted to take a second to uh, use our first precise shot just to talk about this software that we're actually recording on right now. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with these sorts of Skype podcasts, um, Skype being the vehicle we're using here, but Skype doesn't actually have any sort of re recording ability. You really can't record anything on Skype that I'm aware of. Um, at, at least if there is a way out there, I, I was not able to find it easily. Um, so we looked at a couple different programs, audio mixing programs to record things. Um, like we used a program called Audacity, but the problem is, is that the audio levels weren't very strong. And for a Skype conversation like this, we needed something with a little more punch. So we found this software called um, Evair, which is spelled E-V-A-E-R. And it's an acronym, and it stands for uh, uh, video and – it's like excellent video and recording, but the middle E doesn't really make any sense, so I, I don't really understand what the, the, the creators were going for there. But uh, anyway, it's, it's $20 to download it for a lifetime of use. Um, as far as I can tell, there's no upkeep at all. Um, and it's the simplest little software program you could ever see. It's, it's sort of like an old VCR where you, all you had is a play, record, and pause button. And it, it syncs with your Skype. So as soon as you launch Skype, uh, it automatically sort of clicks on. And it just kind of waits for you. And uh, as far as I can tell, there's no maximum number numbers of files it can record. And it, it uh, records the levels very easily. So whenever Justin's saying something, it gets him nice and clean. When I'm saying something, it gets me nice and clean. Um, the only problem I've seen with it at all is it's not very complicated. So if you're an advanced you know, audio person and you want something more complicated, you're, you're probably going to want something a little, a little trickier and something a little pricier. But for $20 as a buy-in, you can't beat it. Um, the only other thing I've noticed about it is it records in mono. Um, and the reason that's important is that we've, we've, we've gotten so used to hearing stereo in our society. And, and the only difference between stereo and mono is just you hear out of two speakers. Mono is just literally one speaker. So because it's only recording one, one speaker at a time, it only plays one speaker at a time. So it sounds a little weird, and you can't place your finger on it at first, but that's why it is. Um, it, it may sound like when you're hearing the podcast, you hear me out of one uh, earbud and you hear Justin out of the other and that's why um, and we're working on ways to to get around that I'm, I'm learning ways in audacity to sort of circumvent that but anyway so that's the precise shot for the week and Justin can attest that we had a lot of trouble in the beginning sort of finding a software to make it work um, oh yeah um, the first couple times we uh I think we could hear you just fine. Yeah, we, we could hear me, uh, and I think it was just because I was the one who was making the recording. It was like you—it was like you were standing across the room in a soundproof box. It's like I could just barely hear you. Um, and uh, you know, for any of those would-be Skype casters out there, or would-be podcasters who want to launch a podcast of your own, uh, when I was when we were first trying to figure this out, we we contacted a couple major podcasts out there. I contacted from Forge the Warp. I know the guys over there, or Forge the Narrative, 
Uh, I know Rob and the guys over there, and uh, I, I tried to contact the independent characters. And even though the independent characters have a, a large uh, number of articles on their website talking about this, they didn't really have anything forthcoming about just the basic software to record it. So maybe those guys are more technically inclined than I am, and I, I have no doubt about that. I, I'm, I'm technical Neanderthal. So for me, for my money, this was the easiest way to do it. I want something quick and easy and point, point and shoot, and this was definitely the best suit, you know, way for me. Of course, the, um, the other reason they might not have contacted you was because they might have been doing their recording in person, Rather, yeah, I think they do. I think that they yeah. actually. That's a good point, and that, that's that's a good point. I think they all live close enough together uh, that. Oh, sorry. I think they all live close enough together that they, they literally just get uh, to each other's house and just all set in his studio and just sort of record it there. Yes, because I don't know if we actually said this at the beginning, uh, folks, but we are not anywhere near. Caleb and I do not live anywhere near each other. I'm in the Midwestern United States, and you're in, what, North Carolina, Raleigh? Yeah, I'm in Raleigh, which is the capital of North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and there's not a whole lot of um, – the wargaming community out here is very different than the wargaming community out west. I feel like I feel like, like most things on the west coast, it's bigger out there. It's just yeah. – I think most of the major cons are out west, starting in the Chicago region and then moving west towards California. And you're in Arlington. Was. Um, what's, or you were in Arlington. Yeah, um, Arlington, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, how would how would you describe the gaming scene? Uh, there, well, I mean, Arlington was near. It, it was in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and Dallas Fort Worth, of course, big metropolis type place. So you're going to have sure. uh, probably, you know, from under, from what I understood, some pretty decent wargaming communities. You just kind of had to know where where sure. to go. And I mean, I had my own little FLGS, you know, that I went to, and. Our, our Warhammer community there was decent, um, but not the greatest. And I think part of that was because the um, the store really didn't. I mean, they had they did support us a little bit, but they were more interested in the CCG crowd, uh, sure. Yu-Gi-Oh in particular. Um, whereas, you know, we if we wanted a gaming table, <laughs> they had these bright green painted plywood that we just throw down on the on a on a table and there was our game space you know no dedicated gaming tables or anything like that and that's okay sure you know but if you wanted a really good um community you know you needed to go elsewhere sure now you were in arlington where are you currently located at fort wayne indiana okay um, so, you know, like he said, we're pretty far apart. And as you can tell from here, it sounds, I think that the quality sounds pretty good. So we definitely recommend you there for podcasting recording duties. Um, so I think that brings us to our end game for the day. So, uh, this is, end game is kind of our sign off and it's going to be our final notes, final thoughts for the podcast. Um, so since this is our first podcast, we want to sort of, uh, extend an invitation to listeners. Justin, do you want to Sort of. So we're trying to figure out what we want, what we, what you guys want to hear. Um, we know that there's a lot of different podcasts out there, and you know, if we're throwing our hat in the ring, we would like to definitely be the, the podcast you choose. Um, so because of that, we want to know what you're interested in hearing about. There's there's podcasts out there that are about competitive wargaming. There's podcasts out there that are all about uh, you know uh, just the hobby and rumors and gossip. And I feel like most of the podcasts that exist out there really focus more on the play. 
and that's not really my uh, main interest. I, I primarily come to the hobby. I, I was, I am a player. I do love playing, but I primarily come to the hobby as a as a hobbyist, and I really enjoy building. Uh, you could put me in a room all day with, with a box of models, and I would be infinitely happier than, than uh, playing. Because anytime I play, there's a very good chance to lose. Whereas when I build a model. Uh, I never really lose because I'm, I'm always having fun. I'm always enjoying it. So primarily, you're going to hear a lot about conversion opportunities, bits. You're going to hear a lot about new bits vendors, new brain vendors. That's the, the stuff I'm interested in. Justin is really into themed armies, so you're probably going to hear a lot about that. But we want to know what you just, uh, are interested ultimately in. Ultimately, we're so, here for you guys. You know. Know? And we're not just doing it because we want to hear the sound of our own voices. You know, If we did that, we wouldn't be recording right. this. We'd just be on Skype, you know. So if, if you right. guys want to, you know, want us to, you know, talk about specific areas or, or areas in the the hobby, then it would be we, we would be very appreciative if you would leave us comments, you know, and feedback. And sure. Or if you've got something you want to tackle, if you have a project you don't know how to do and you, you want advice about it, you know, we've got a lot of experience in that area. Um, so definitely just chime out and let us know what you're interested in and we'll let you know. <laughs> um, okay. I think that's about it. Justin, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I don't really think so at this moment. Okay. Well then, uh, to all you guys out there for world council, uh, this is Caleb Dillon and, uh, my associate Justin Jones. And, uh, until next time, put, put your, your minis where, where your, your mouth, mouth is. is. Take care and good night.